A reading from the epistle of 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God will have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfitting crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger will be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resisting him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Good morning. morning. All right. Let's begin with uh, another word of prayer before we dive into God's word. So please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. It's a joy to be back with you uh, this morning. Uh, I've been at different leadership conferences, and uh, some people have done fantastic jobs in the pulpit, so I want to say thank you to Cody, and thank you to Aaron for last week. I do believe this morning... Uh, This message is for someone in particular, and maybe many people. Uh, And so I do invite you to really tune in and look for one nugget or one handhold you can take with you as you leave this place this morning. Uh, We're wrapping up our series today on the book of 1 Peter, and so we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, and the title of my message is God's Not Done. And uh, I want to share about this leadership retreat I was invited to attend, and we attended. Uh, Three of us from Charleston, or at least our church, went over to London a couple weeks ago to the Alpha Leadership Conference in London, England, hosted by Holy Trinity Brompton. Some of you that follow me on social media saw that I put up a picture of Royal Albert Hall, and you you asked, well, what was it like? What are your takeaways? Well, you're going to learn some of those today. But before I get into uh, some of those takeaways, I just want to share about the experience. See, this is Royal Albert Hall, and this is a place where big bands play. And uh, there's, I think, seating for over 5,000 here, and then there was multiple thousands uh, simulcasting in from other churches around England. And I think what was so spectacular for me and for the leaders that came with me just to begin the conference was the worship. We experienced great worship, and it was the holy Catholic lower sea, meaning broad global church that was worshiping together. For instance, I, I looked down. We're on that kind of 
the, the second tier here, I, I look down and there's a monk just doing this number, like full, you know, and then I look over and there's a nun, hands raised. And then right next to me is a group of black uh, London women just praising God together. And then there's some older uh, people right in front of us. And there was a missionary couple from Malaysia behind us. And we were all praising God together with a great chorus. And it was so moving. Even if I hadn't or we hadn't heard any words, the worship moved us into the very presence of God. And we see a picture of this kind of worship at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7, I believe, where all tongues and tribes and nations will worship Jesus together. So the worship was spectacular. I think in total with the conference, there's over 7,000 people from 80 countries worshiping together. But it wasn't just about great worship. It was about great words or great wisdom. We heard from some of these leaders, uh, Nikki Gumbel, who... uh, is the lead pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton, Matt Redman, who some of you might know some of his worship. Uh, David Ayelowo, who's a leading actor, played Martin Luther King Jr. uh, and is a producer in Hollywood. And Craig Groeschel, who is the lead pastor of the largest church in the United States, Life Church. And uh, Craig was one of the keynote speakers. And what struck me is how Craig began his uh, talk at Holy Trinity Brompton. And I'm going to play off this statement he made as I summarize 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, friends, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. And he went on to start sharing about how he was so flawed and how much he failed as a young leader. He shared how he was denied ordination, even though like he went through all this trouble to enter ministry. He was kind of uh, shown the door. And I don't know what you're walking in with today if you have some flaws or your failures that are kind of holding you back or discouraging you this morning. But to play off of uh, Craig's statement, I, I think our text says this beautifully. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Today, whatever you're walking in with, if you're not dead, God's not done. And there's three points I think Peter makes in our text to this, to this end. Number one, don't look to your past. Look to God's love. Point two, don't dress for success. Dress for God's service. And point three, don't stand in fear today. Stand in God's favor. So we're going to unpack these three points. But the mega point, the macro point is If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Point number one, don't look to your past. Look to God's love. Chapter five begins with these words. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherd of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of of glory that will never fade away. And so the context is Peter's writing to church leaders of the early church. But I want to broaden this because I think it applies 
to all of us today. And I think what's really powerful is not just this passage, but the story behind this passage. As we know and we study Scripture together, there's no text without context. So the power in this story is what's behind the story. Do you guys remember the story of Peter, the apostle? How Jesus called this fisherman unto himself to mission. You read in the Gospels, he's, he says, basically, drop your nets, Peter, and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I've got more for your life ahead. And Peter's one of these guys that gets over his skis. I know we have some skiers in the room who snow skis. Any of you guys, are any of you kind of ambitious? Like you just, like a bull on the slopes, you're just over your skis, and next thing you know, it's like da 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 da. I know none of you do that, right? I've done it. You get over your skis. That's Peter. He got over his skis all the time, and especially when it mattered most. He promised Jesus never to forsake him or deny him, but at the very moment Jesus was handed over to the authorities to go to the cross, three times people asked him, weren't you his friend or his disciple? He's like, no, no, no. Just imagine the shame and the guilt Peter carried in his life. But at the end of the book of John, Peter is going back to his office, i.e. his boat, and he starts casting a net. And there's Jesus after the resurrection. Jesus is on the shore. Peter drops everything and just dives into the water. And like a dog swims after Jesus. And on that beach, Jesus does something spectacular. And he does it not just for Peter, he does it for us if we allow him to. He says these words. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what's he say? Feed my sheep. He says, no, Peter, do, do you really love me? He's like, yes, I love you. Tend to my sheep. No, Peter, do you love me? And then Peter got offended and, he's, and hurt. And he's like, Jesus, you know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. Love my sheep. And so it's so ironic that here Peter is calling the early church his mentees to feed God's sheep. You see, don't look to your past. Look to God's love to define your future. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and then three times Jesus restored him. You see, I think, might it be that your greatest failure is the place God wants to call you in his love? Or the greatest way in which you're fail, you've failed, your greatest flaw might be the very entry place, the very fertile soil God wants to plant his seed of redemption in you this morning. Don't look to your past. Look to God's love today. And it begs the question, who or what is disqualifying you? Who or what's disqualifying you from God's love and service this morning? Is it a broken marriage? Is it a failed job? Is it you dropped out of something, college, high school? What is, is it an addiction? What is holding you back that says you do not qualify this morning for God's love? You see, don't look to your past. Look to God's love. And that defined 
Peter's trajectory. That love defined his life. It changed everything for him and for everyone who came after him. And so I just imagine as he shares these words to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder in a witness, really a failure in the face of Christ's suffering. Humbly, I appeal to you. Um, and he says, as a witness of Christ's sufferings, who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, being examples to the flock. And the exact verbiage he uses here of watching over them is the exact verb or verbiage Jesus used to restore him. So point one, don't look to your past, to your flaws and your failures. Look to God's love this morning. Point number two, don't dress for success. I know this sounds a little cliche or cheesy, but we're going for it because it's memorable. Don't, don't dress for success, dress for God's service. Peter goes on and he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And let me just pause there and say, like, if we had elders that humble and courageously vulnerable, wouldn't it be easy to follow them and allow them to shepherd and care for us? I've shared in this pulpit that my relationship with my own father changed not when I saw his strength, but when I saw his tears as my brother was entering into rehab. That's the foundation of our leadership in the church as shepherds. But don't dress for success, dress for God's service. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders in this family. And then he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We live in a tiered world where we're always trying to prove or protect ourselves. We live in a tiered world. I was, uh, the last few days, spent time with a big soccer fan, Kenneth Padgett's in the room. And Kenneth, I think, there he is. We were talking about European soccer. They call it football. Uh, is that really football? We don't know. But then nonetheless, he shared how racist soccer teams are over in Europe and how sometimes they even have to have closed matches where no fans are allowed in because it's so racist. We live in a divided and tiered world where you're encouraged either to step up and over someone or watch your back as someone tries to step up and over your back. And it's based on sex. It's based on you know, affinity, it's based on geography, it's based on name, it's based on color. It, and, and you're always looking and protecting yourself and trying to advance yourself, survival of the fittest, and it's exhausting. I found myself in this kind of tiered world as I went to boarding school. I don't want to call out the specific name this morning, but something I noticed in boarding school that I was drawn into. I went to boarding school from 8th through 12th grade, uh, at one of the premier schools in the United States. And there was a couple different secret societies that they would tap you into, they would recruit you into if you, if you met the mark. So in eighth grade, I said, I, I want to meet that mark. By the time I was a senior, the most elite secret society, they, they, and they were endorsed by the school, they tapped me 
they essentially, it's almost like a fraternity scene. They, they then allow you to come in and you have to do all these things to prove your loyalty to them and to the school. You have to dress a certain way. You have to memorize certain exact phrases and quotations. And then there's this weekend away. And I'm like, I feel so blessed, right? There's this weekend away where we meet in a parking lot. You don't know what's going to happen. They stripped me and the other candidates down to our skivvies, blindfolded us, threw us in the trunk of a car, drove us for hours. If you get sick, motion sick, you can relate. We drove for hours in the mountains, in the trunk of a car. They'd occasionally pop the trunk, scream at us. We got out of the car. And uh, then they totally uh, declothed us and threw rubbing alcohol on us and threw all sorts of stuff at us. And for the whole weekend, kind of this was the ritual. At one point, they left us in the woods as a group, just in our underoos, and said, make it back. And so it was the most bizarre experience of my life. And then somehow at the end of that weekend, I was told, you made it. Made it into what? You see, in our world, we're called to prove or protect ourselves all the time in all sorts of even dark ways like that experience. And maybe you've fallen prey to kind of that that cycle Or maybe you've been in a company that encourages you to posture and position yourself and be political. But here's the problem. In our world, everyone plays the game of power, yet only one sits on the throne. Following his resurrection, before he commissions the disciples, Jesus says, Lo, all power has been given to me and heaven and on earth, and all the cosmos, now go and make disciples. Go feed my sheep. Go rescue my sheep. You see, everyone plays this game of power, yet only one sits on the throne. And what this passage is saying is live out of the reality that Jesus is all-powerful, and he even went to the lowest tier on the social ladder for you and for me. And he says, close yourself, Peter, with this character. Don't dress for success. Dress for service. Put on the love of Jesus. God opposes the proud but gives grace, shows favor to the humble. We read about this in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So here's a question that I was convicted by. As I get dressed in the morning, do I look in the mirror and say, I'm dressing for success, I'm looking good, or am I dressing for Christ's service today? How am I looking for that? How am I prepared for that? Peter, to close this book, he says, close yourselves with that humility in that love, knowing there's only one who sits on the throne. And then point number three is this. Don't stand in fear. Stand in God's favor. The book ends, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. 
because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I don't know about you, but uh, this is audience participation time. Anyone grow up playing battle games? Like, for instance, anyone grow up playing tag? Yeah? Come on, Rachel. Anyone play uh, war? Anyone play capture the flag? I love that game. Um, when I was growing up, uh, kind of like my middle son, he'll be at the second service. I didn't grow up maybe fast enough. Um, I, I was missing some, some certain social awareness. So uh, there's this thing called laser tag that came out, right? Well, the first iteration of laser tag, it didn't look like alien guns, you know? That, was, that came later. It actually looked like you were carrying a Colt 45. It was all black. And we got a whole set of these in Lake Wales, Florida. And at like 14, 15, we'd still run around jumping over bushes and trees, rolling around in the middle of the night, shooting each other like this. And one time the cops came and shut it down. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was awkward and scary. I had never thought about it. But they thought we were robbing my house. There's guns all around this house. There's people diving over bushes at 1145 North Lake Shore Boulevard, Lake Wills, Florida. You know, all bullet alert, right? They did. They shut, whew, all in the front yard. And I'm just there, right, my friends? Super awkward. But they thought a battle. They thought a war. They thought something good and dark were colliding in that front yard at that house. Well, the Bible says there's something true to that in your life and your family, coming after your kids and your friends and you right now. Erin did a great job of talking about kind of, she looked at the Old Testament last week, but she talked about resisting the devil, putting your dukes up. I'm not a boxer either. I don't claim to be. I've got staff that do martial arts. They protect me. I don't need to do that stuff. But this scripture, it says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, or another translation says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is suffering or undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we stand together in community. And the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this battle. For our struggle, ultimately our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, meaning each other, but against the rulers, authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a reason Star Wars does so well. There's a reason these uh, action movies do so well because they call to a deeper reality that we're living in. There is a cosmic battle for your soul today. But there's only one who sits on the throne. And that's good news. So this book about 1 Peter, it dives into and deals with a lot of suffering, but says live in hope as a chosen people and so the point here in point number three is don't be surprised by suffering, but be prepared for suffering. 
This flies in the face of a lot of American Christianity, the health and wealth gospel. You, in Jesus, will suffer for your faith. If you're not suffering in some way over the course of your life, something is off. You are worth fighting for, God says. And I love this. It says, stand firm in the faith. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, that God, and if you combine that with this passage, after or through your sufferings, he's for you, with you, and will redeem your story. He will redeem your life. He will redeem and strengthen your family, no matter what flaws you have or failures you're dealing with this morning. So don't stand in fear. Stand in faith. Stand in God's favor. So in conclusion, if you're not dead, God's not done with your life. If you're not dead, he's not done. Don't look to your past. Look to God's love. Do you know God's love this morning? Is it the most important thing in your life today? Point number two, don't dress for success. Dress for God's service. The way up is the way down in God's economy. Clothe yourselves with the humility and love we receive from Christ. As you look, I'm going to, this is going to haunt you as you wake up tomorrow morning. As you look in the mirror tomorrow, I guess pray, God, I want to be clothed with your love today. I want to serve with you today. And point number three, stand, don't stand in fear, stand in his favor. The best is yet to come for those who trust in him. The best is yet to come. And some of you really need to hear that this morning. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and you would know us and you would call us to yourselves today. God, for, for those of us who are stuck in patterns of the past or just our identities of the past, I pray that you would break that this morning. And you'd call us to yourself through your love. God, I pray that where we've been posturing and politicking with our lives or our leadership, that that would be put to rest and we would be clothed with your love and your humility. And last but not least, God, would you increase our faith? Would you turn up the dial of our faith in your favor in our hearts and our families today that the best is yet to come? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.